This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, March 10th, 2009. I'm Caleb Brown. Declining confidence is driving the freeze in credit markets. So what's driving the decline in confidence? Cato Institute Senior Fellow Gerald P. O'Driscoll Jr. says much of it is the rapid and constant evolution of policies from the Treasury Department and Secretary Tim Geithner. To hear the Treasury Department tell it, Tim Geithner doesn't have enough assistance in making the case for the policies that he's out there promoting. One of his as-yet-unnominated aides says, the problem is with getting out there in the world and talking about it. Other than Geithner, there's nobody else making the case in public for these policies. So is it the sales pitch or is it the policies themselves? I don't think the main problem is that they have a communication problem. The main problem is a substance problem or more precisely a lack of substance. Again and again, uh, beginning with Paulson and now unfortunately continuing under the Geithner regime, uh, there's a tendency to announce policies before they're spelled out. And uh, and when they are spelled out, sometimes they still have to be changed because the spelling out reveals that they haven't been th- thought through. Now, so I say that's a substance problem. Now, they do have a communication problem. They're continuing the very, very bad communication of the Bush administration, again, in which people like the Treasury Secretary uh, uh, and sometimes the Fed chairman try to scare the markets in order to get the policy through that they want. Now, most recently, the chairwoman of the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, Sheila Barr, justified her raising fees for deposit insurance. That's the fees that the banks are charged for the federal government deposit insurance and defending it by saying if she didn't do it, the fund, the deposit insurance fund might go bankrupt. Well, this is all you had to tell depositors. There was a story in Saturday's New York Times that people are withdrawing cash from their deposits in amounts of $500,000, a million dollars and more because they're scared the deposits aren't safe. And then they're buying huge safes, uh, and you can imagine this in a New York City apartment, buying huge safes to store the cash in. This is lunacy. On the credit freeze, this is from... The Wall Street Journal, Sean Dobson, chief executive officer at Amherst Holdings LLC, says the only way to invest is to guess at which way the winds in Washington are blowing, so capital is frozen. There, it's almost a repeat performance uh, from Hank Paulson in terms of even very specific policies that uh, they might want to implement. It is a repeat performance. Uh, and unfortunately, it's actually repeat performance from the Great Depression and was one of the reasons the Great Depression was so prolonged. There was constant experimentation with policies. This is called regime uncertainty. You don't know what the rules are. And even if the rules are announced, you don't know whether the rules are going to be changed uh, within a day, a week, a month. And that's not an investment time horizon. So uh, as they said in the Great Depression, capital is going on strike. In the bailout that was passed last year, there were almost no guidelines for banks for how to, what to do with the money that was given to them. Now, almost retroactively, you have Tim Geithner and Barack Obama suggesting, well, we've given you this money in the past. Now, here are the rules that we want you to abide by. That seems to speak to your point. Yes, that's a good example. And it's also, I must add, a complete misapprehension about what the purpose of the funds as they were ultimately given to banks was, which was it was capital. Now, capital is not what you use to lend. Capital is a fund to uh, use to absorb future losses uh, that have not already been reserved against. You don't lend from capital. You lend from deposits that you accumulate. 
And uh, if the Treasury doesn't understand that, then we're in big trouble. And if they can't communicate that, then we're also in big trouble because that should be explained to the American public. But of course, going back to Paulson, um, by implication and innuendo, people were led to believe that, well, if we give these banks capital, then they'll lend more. No, that just cushions them against future losses. And then to go back to the problem we're talking about, the regime uncertainty, the lenders are also under regime uncertainty. They don't know what they're supposed to be lending on. And so to the degree that they're prepared to lend, they're afraid to lend. The United States has committed uh, nearly a trillion dollars for stimulus. China has contributed a great deal to try to revive its sluggish economy. Other countries have done essentially the same thing. And now there is a very strong push to coordinate all of these fiscal policy actions for something akin to a global stimulus. G20 leaders would rather talk about restructuring uh, rules for financial markets than a global stimulus. Is Do you get a sense of which is a, a better focus for their time? The global stimulus is no better or worse than the domestic stimulus, and most of the domestic stimulus has been counterproductive because the major problem with this recession, unlike many others, is it's about balance sheets. It's about people having taken losses on their balance sheets and wanting to restore their balance sheets, which means save. So while the public is trying to, and corporations, I might add, are trying to save, the government uh, the, under the stimulus uh, package is trying to stimulate consumption. So it's frustrating the, uh, the acts of individuals, and it's frustrating the acts that they must take to restore their, their balance sheets and to restore their savings so that they can then consume in the future. So the global stimulus program is just exporting this bad idea. I actually uh, side with uh, Chancellor Merkel of Germany, who uh, remarked uh, some months back that uh, her fiscal policy was going to be that of a thrifty Lutheran housewife who saves for anything she wants to buy. The Germans have actually captured better what the solution, the policy solution to this, or the policy contribution to this uh, admitted disaster is, rather than uh, the Obama administration. What policy mistakes boiled down is the Obama administration repeating here? Well, first and foremost, what we've already discussed, which is not thinking through the policy that it wants to implement, um, getting the details worked out, then announcing the policy, uh, best yet, announcing it simultaneously with actually implementing it, or maybe even better, waiting a week and having it implemented and then announcing what you're doing. Uh, Then the markets know what's going on. Uh, But I think the reason they're caught up in this is they're still almost like they're in a campaign mode still. They haven't finished the campaign. And during the campaign, uh, the theme that helped get them elected was that everything that was wrong was due to the Bush administration and its policies. So now, uh, coming in, they want to be the non-Bush, but in practice, what that means is starting from scratch. But in starting from scratch, they seem to be led to head down the same roads that turned out to be dead ends under Bush Paulson. And hence, they're repeating mistakes of trying to go back to the old original tarp and buy bad assets from the banks. That was abandoned by Paulson. It was a bad policy, but it was good that he abandoned it because he figured out it wouldn't work. In an insolvency crisis versus a liquidity crisis, why is it ineffective to have the government providing funds to make institutions solvent again? Uh, when the Fed supplies funds, either by buying securities in the open market or lending to a banking institution, that addresses a liquidity problem. 
and uh, it's that the institution, the bank, is unable for whatever reason to raise funds readily in the marketplace, and the Fed, acting as what's called lender of last resort, supplies the funds to the bank the market wouldn't supply. Uh, In that situation, the bank is solvent but illiquid. In a true solvency crisis, the bank is not illiquid. They may be quite liquid. In fact, most of the of the uh, large banks that are known to be problem banks can, especially commercial banks, can stay liquid just by going into the market and raising deposits. But if they're not solvent or they're simply not adequately capitalized, that they're uncomfortable with the level of capital they're holding because of f- possible future losses on loans and investments then they want to raise capital before they're going to lend again, even if they're perfectly liquid. So supplying liquidity to troubled capital's short institutions will not get them lending again. Gerald P. O'Driscoll Jr. is a former vice president of the Dallas Federal Reserve and is a Cato Institute senior fellow. You can read more of his work at cato.org.